Welcome to the podcast of Scott Street MB Church. We hope you find this message inspiring and encouraging in your walk as a disciple of our Lord Jesus Christ. Good morning. That is a beautiful piece of scripture and profound in so many ways. And uh, we're going to be looking at uh, Jesus as a prophet this morning. And last Sunday was a little bit different in that our beloved David left the service in an ambulance. And uh, I, I would like you all to turn around and wave to David. David, there he is. We are we're thankful that he's back and that he's... <clears throat> he is strong and he is healthy and he will be seeing uh, a cardiologist in the future and... But we are just so grateful for him and for his ministry among us. We love him and are so thankful uh, that you're here and healthy and upright. Yes, thank you. And thank you, Emily, again for reading that scripture. Um, we, are, we are so blessed. We are so blessed to live in Canada, and particularly here in St. Catharines. It was nice to have all four seasons yesterday. I don't know if you, you, you blinked and there was a snowstorm, you know, you looked out the window and it was beautiful and sunny. And um, I'm going to read a report from the Toronto Star from the, uh, a city in Mexico. And the city is called Popocatepetl. Popocatepetl. And that's the, the name of the volcano next to the city. Uh, Toronto Star wrote, Fire lit the skies Monday night as lava, rock, and ash spewed from Mexico's Popocatapetil uh, volcano, which erupted shortly after 7.30 p.m. Many of the 40,000 residents within 10 kilometers of the volcano base remained in their homes, despite being urged by officials to evacuate. For more than two days, officials have urged the 40,000 people living next to the volcano to leave the area, but most of them ignore the pleas, preferring to stay behind to guard their belongings and their livestock. On Monday, some residents began to rethink their decision. They already told us to leave, but we didn't believe them until last night. Now we are scared, said Javier Hernandez, a 71-year-old man, huddled around a fire with five other men. Six women, relatives, slept under blankets in the back of the nearby pickup truck. We didn't sleep all last night, he said. It was thundering loudly. Scientists have warned that the dome of lava at the base of this 17,000-foot volcano is causing pressure to build up inside the volcano, inside the mountain. It could trigger a strong eruption throwing rocks and other debris for hundreds of kilometers. It's like a pressure cooker, the scientists said. It could lead to a situation the likes of which we've never seen before. Families swaddled in blankets gathered around the roadside fires as the sun came up, nervously glancing at the steaming crater above them. People in the area have grown accustomed to the vapor, the ash, and the lava from the volcano as it has continually emitted it for six years. Still, this week has been one of its most active in years, and tremors have shaken the nearby towns. The scientists continue to warn of an imminent huge eruption. Everyone within 100 kilometers would be in danger of losing their lives. The people know the truth, they know the danger, and they simply do not move. What a story. Makes me glad I live in St. Catharines. 
where we do not have volcanoes and spewing ash. We have lots of interesting things, and of course we do have the bridges over the Welland Canal. Um, we generally think of a prophet or a prophecy of something that's foretelling. Last week we had the, the words of Isaiah, foretelling 700 years into the future about the coming of our suffering servant, Jesus. But simply put, prophecy in general is concerning an immediate situation. It's telling the people about what God's aim and goal is for people who are in a particular situation. They usually function, prophets function like scientists in the news story. They have more information. They have information on high from God that can warn the people about what they should do. What did the people at the foot of the volcano do? Did they listen? No, they didn't listen. And it would seem the same, to be the same for prophets. The prophets spoke, but people didn't seem to listen very well. Um, our reaction is the same as those 40,000 people at the base of the volcano, and they, they simply do not listen. When looking at the major roles of Jesus, he's prophet, priest, and king. One of the roles that Jesus played, uh, and that we're going to focus on today, is the role of prophet. We're going to look at him in particular in light of the scripture that we read. Uh, firstly, let's uh, just look at what it means to be a prophet. A prophet is one who is a spokesperson for God. But a third of the Old Testament contains writing of the prophets. And one of the common phrases we have, and I, I was brought up with King James, I love King James Version, it said, thus saith the Lord. Let's say it together. Thus saith the Lord. And you have to say it like you're a an opera singer, thus saith the Lord. And uh, in new translations it says, this is what the Lord says. It doesn't sound the same at all. In German, let's try this. So spricht der Herr. Is that close? Abraham, was I, was I okay? Thumbs up, down, <laughs> okay. Thus saith the Lord. The prophet proclaims what God wants to say to his people. Um, so the definition of a prophet is someone who's a spokesperson for God. And Jesus, of all people, was a prophet, a spokesperson for God. He not only spoke the word, he lived them. In fact, in Scripture, he was called the Word. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. From John, the Word became flesh. Jesus is the Word. Often the message of the prophet is not a welcoming message. Like the residents at the base of the volcano, the message often required change, giving something up, giving up something precious. It might require trusting, might require changing your home, changing your lives. And just like our Mexican friends, many people who hear the word of God reject it. They hear the word of the prophet and they reject it. Most people refuse to listen to God. As a result, there's a fair bit of confusion around what the prophet is really saying. You know, when you sing before you preach, you get dry. Note to self. Um, a lot of the prophets were rejected. Among the prophets, uh, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Micah, and my favorite, Isaiah, those four prophets were killed for their words. Not only do people not like what the prophets say, because they don't like what the prophets say, they decide they don't like the prophet. And if you want the, to stop the prophet from saying what the prophet is saying, what do you have to do? You've got to stop the prophet. 
And this is where we see Jesus as prophet. We know that Jesus encountered unbelief leading to his own rejection and his own persecution and his death that we will, we will be celebrating in a few weeks' time. Jesus didn't simply walk away when people rejected his message. He confronted them. Um, when you think of Jesus, we often think of him in our Sunday school mind as the smiling, healing, comforting Jesus, the non-confrontative Jesus. And those are good pictures of the smiling and kind and healing and holding the children and um, walking on water and looking down at Peter and why is he drowning. And, um, but that's not the whole picture. There are examples of Jesus who is a confrontational man, speaking God's truth, even if it's unwelcome. And we read that in our scripture today, that he wasn't always smiling kind and healing. The point I'm trying to make is that our picture of Jesus needs to include welcoming children, healing the sick, comforting the broken. But it is incomplete until we add the picture of him as prophet. It's a prophetic challenge Jesus calls us to. I'm going to do something with you this morning. It's dangerous. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. And I'm going to tell you this story again, and I'd like to picture it in your mind. Let the scripture live in your mind. So please close your eyes and follow me to the grain field. In your mind, picture Jesus and the disciples walking together. The group of them, 13 of them, walking together in the dry, dusty roads in Jerusalem, in Israel. They're walking in the dry grain fields around Jerusalem. And Jesus and his disciples are talking. Can you see them? They've entered into a grain field. And they're reaching down. And as they walk, the grain that's around their, the height of their, their knees, they reach down and they pick some grain by their hand. And then they, they roll it in their hand. Can you see them rolling the grain in their hand as the chaff comes off and only the, the fresh seed is left in their hand? And they roll it around and they, they pop some grain into their mouths. They're hungry. And the fresh grain tastes delicious. Can you see them enjoying and talking and eating some little bit of grain? Now look further down the field and you see a gathering, a group of five to seven men in robes and their heads are wrapped. They're off to the side and they look like Pharisees. Can you see them off to the side of the field? They're looking and shaking their hands and lifting their arms. You can tell, even though we're at a distance, you can tell they're angry. They're upset. Jesus and the disciples continue walking and eating the little grain and they come up to the Pharisees. And the Pharisees confront them. The Pharisees say to Jesus, Look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. They're throwing up their hands, they're pointing their finger at Jesus. Look. 
They're accusing him. Jesus responds to their accusation, saying, God wants mercy, not sacrifice. God is love, not rules. Something greater than the temple is here. If only you'd see it. The Pharisees are angry. And they continue walking. They walk out of the grain field. Towards Jerusalem. Towards the temple. And as they get towards the temple. Right at the gates to the temple. Look around. You see all of the beggars. The crippled. The beggars. You see a man with a shriveled hand. The Pharisees are there. The disciples are there. And the man with the shriveled hand stands up and comes to Jesus. Jesus says, stretch out your hand. And this man, who's never been able to use his hand, stretches out his hand. And it's completely restored. The disciples rejoice. Jesus embraces the man with the healed hand. And the Pharisees went out and decided how they could kill Jesus. Okay, open your eyes. Open your eyes. What a scene. What a scene. Last week I showed you a a clip out of the Bible uh, with the... The Ethiopian eunuch. I love that, that clip. I can't forget his laugh after he gets baptized. This is a dramatic piece of scripture. The Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. You'd think that they would have been in awe of the healing of the man's hand, don't you? If you were there, don't you think you'd go, oh, Jesus. You know, your power, you're amazing. Did they say that? No. They did not say that. Instead, they plotted and schemed. The story doesn't call Jesus a prophet, but here he speaks prophetic words. He was speaking prophetic words to a lifeless religious system. To a lifeless religious system, Jesus speaks life. I want to draw your attention to two simple points this morning. The most important thing is Jesus. There's two statements Jesus makes to the Pharisees. One, he says, one greater than the temple is here, Jesus himself. Secondly, he says, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. That Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. Very clear statements of the uniqueness of Jesus, of his claim to be God. In the first, he says that he is more important than the temple. And in Jewish faith, there's nothing more important than the temple. To the Jews, the temple was a holy place where God dwelled. And Jesus says there's something more important than the temple. The Jews believed that God himself dwelt in the physical, earthly temple. God is in the temple. Jesus claimed that he was greater than the temple, greater than this place. When the Pharisees heard this, do you think they were pleased? No. These were hard words for them to hear. It seemed that in concentrating on the temple that the Jews had lost touch with God. They were worshipping the temple, not the God in the temple. 
Jesus turns this all on on its head. He says, it is about the person, not the place. It's about me, not the temple. In the second statement, he asserts his lordship, claiming that he is over the commandments and all the systems. Faith is not about a place. It's not about keeping the rules. It's about love, compassion, justice, and grace. Wow. And this is a good reminder for each of us. We must remain focused on Jesus and who he is. It's easy to get sidetracked, to focus on the temple instead of God. To obey because we think it's the right thing to do, rather than to obey because we love doing what God wants us to do. Sometimes we serve because we think the church needs it. The church needs it. Instead of serving because we want to use our gifts as Christ has blessed us to serve him and to bless the church. See the difference? The church needs it and I love to serve him. It's a different, it's a whole different approach to, to how we serve. It's easy to lose sight of Jesus and get caught up in structures and systems. And we need structures and systems in the church. We need things to work well. But the problem is when we lose sight and we start doing things out of obligation and not love. Did you have teachers that you knew loved teaching? Yeah. Did you have teachers that you knew didn't love teaching? (laughs) Could you tell the difference? In the blink of an eye, you can tell the difference. Can you tell that I love being your pastor? Yes. In the blink of an eye. Samuel, 1 Samuel 15, 22 says, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much in obeying the Lord? Because to obey is better than sacrifice. And to heed is better than the fat of rams. To obey. To obey out of love rather than sacrifice out of fear. That's what Jesus is saying to the Pharisees. We, we try very hard to be good Christian leaders and to focus on Jesus in our leadership. And here at the church we have a group of elders. Men and women who are devoted to serve Christ and to lead the church. And we spend a fair bit of time together and um, meeting in, in the boardroom in particular. We work through a number of things. Last, our last meeting, we focused on a very exciting topic called the budget. <laughs> Emily loves the budget. <laughs> and you know what? She makes the budget interesting because she's so good. And she's so detailed. She knows what she's doing. And she makes us comfortable. We talked about the budget. We prayed about the budget. Not just that one meeting. We've talked other times. And we're praying, God, help us to be wise. Help us to be faithful. And help us to be bold. We, We want to be people who are bold in our vision. But we also know that every penny that is given is a gift. And we want to use it well. And we also want to use God's money for God's purpose. So we pray, we talk, and we made some conclusions. And we came up with a budget that you're going to see at the annual meeting, and you've already seen it in your, your box, in your mailbox. And I believe that God gave us leadership. We didn't make a budget out of fear. We made a budget out of love and hope and trust. Wait till you see it. It's a great budget. Come to the annual meeting. It's going to be wonderful. 
It's going to be wonderful as we celebrate what God's done, what God is doing, and what he's going to do this coming year. And best of all, you'll have the most beautiful budget you've ever seen. If something we need to learn as a church is, is to do all things, whether it's budgeting or, or teaching Sunday school or, or, or playing music in the wrong key. We do it out of love. We do it out of love. And God accepts what we do. He accepts it, and he uses us, and he blesses us. And he says, he says, Rob, serve me out of joy, not out of obligation. Serve me out of love. Second point in this scripture is that the heart is what matters. Our scripture today shows the confrontation between Jesus and the Pharisees. The simplified reason for the conflict is that the Pharisees were concerned with outward things. Do not pick grain. Do not heal a person on the Sabbath. Jesus is concerned with the heart. The religious system at the time had become so rule-oriented that it was just a matter of doing the right things. Have you ever heard anyone say that Christianity is just a bunch of rules? They haven't read the Bible. Because they'd realize it's not about rules. It's about love and obedience and Christ and hope and, and passion. But for the Jews back in this time, it was about keeping the law. How many steps can we take on the Sabbath? Because every Sabbath we will count our steps. Because you're only allowed to take 3,000 steps on the Sabbath. That's a Sabbath day's journey. No more. If you are a Jew, if we are an obedient follower, of, uh, a Jewish follower, then we will only take 3,000 steps. You know what else we cannot do on the Sabbath? No planting, no sowing, no tying. You can't tie a knot. No lighting fires, so you can't make food that day. No writing. You can't be writing. None of those things are allowed on the Sabbath. Now, there was one thing that was allowed on the Sabbath, and then, in fact, you were supposed to do. You were to violate the Shabbat law any time that it was necessary to break the law to save someone's life. That's the only time you could legitimately break the law. To, to, break the, to break the laws of the Sabbath if someone was dying. So, the man with the shriveled hand, was he dying? Could you legitimately heal him on the Sabbath? You couldn't. So Jesus broke the law, the Jewish law, by healing that man's hand. It wasn't a matter of imminent death. The man wasn't going to die. He just had a shriveled hand. But is it allowed? Does God allow us to do good on the Sabbath? Well, that's what Jesus was saying. Yes, yes, we can do good on the Sabbath. We can do that which is right. The Jews were, were focused on what was on the outward. Jesus was focused on what was on the inward, on the heart. Obedience to the forms of religion had become more important than people. And that's what Jesus is confronting. And that's the danger even today. There's a danger that we come to the point where our faith is going through the motions. And as we get older, again I speak to you as an older man, many decades old, and 
It's easy to go through the motions. Many of us have been to church hundreds of times. Some of us have read the scripture dozens of times. And there's a danger that it just becomes same old, same old. But we can't let it ever become that. It needs to be fresh and new every morning. We can lose our focus on God and make a focus on the rules. Sometimes when we're in church, we can sing the worship songs and we don't mean it. Sometimes when Sarah is praying a beautiful prayer, we're thinking about Swiss Chalet. (laughs) Or any restaurant. It's not Swiss Chalet and Sarah. It's just a... There's a danger that we come here and we don't focus and and we don't live our lives purely and wholeheartedly that our faith becomes our commonplace and that it's not new and fresh. Jesus confronts that attitude. Jesus gets in the face of the Pharisees. In verse 12, he says that doing good is lawful on the Sabbath. Caring for a fellow man and caring and ministering to their needs is lawful on the Sabbath. He goes so far as to point out the hypocrisy of the Pharisees, who would break the law on the Sabbath to save a sheep, but you wouldn't heal a man's withered hand? He shows them their hypocrisy. And he shows me my hypocrisy. Here's some some wonderful questions. Did you come to worship God today? Did you come because you love him? And you couldn't imagine letting an opportunity of a Sunday going by that you couldn't be with people you love, learning about the God you love? You knew that by bringing yourself to Jesus today, you would find strength and encouragement and power and change and that your hurts would be healed. Did you come to dive into God's word today to learn something? To see what God had for you today? Did you come out of love? Did you come out of love for for God's people? Let me tell you, you can tell why a person comes to worship. Just like that teacher who loves if they teach or who teaches because they need a job. In the same way, you can tell why a person comes to worship. If they love God, they want to see God. In the blink of an eye. And this is hard for me because I can be the Pharisee. I, I like to think of myself as one of the disciples, but it's so easy to become the Pharisee. The I'm better than you. The I do more than you. Or you're doing the wrong thing and I'm doing the right thing. Um, I catch myself sometimes going through the motions. When I come to your house, please don't ask me to pray for the meal. I'd love to hear you pray. I pray all the time. I love to pray. I will pray at your meal. But do you have any idea how often a pastor prays? (laughs) And would it be easy for a pastor to pray the same prayer again and again and to become unfocused? Yes. How about you saying the Lord's Prayer? Some of you grew up saying it again and again and sometimes you're not even listening to yourself say it. You're just saying it. 
Jesus is speaking against this. Jesus got into a prophetic confrontation with the Pharisees. He said to the Pharisees, If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you wouldn't have condemned the innocent. That means him and his disciples. They condemned them for eating the the grain. They condemned Jesus for healing the withered hand. If you'd known what it means, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. He quotes, that's from Hosea, that mercy needs to flow out of a heart of love. And that's what God wants from us. Mercy, not sacrifice. He desires our hearts, love, forgiveness, mercy, acceptance. There's a beautiful word. We used it in our baptism class today. Grace, unmerited favor. God wants us to be gracious as he is gracious. He wants our actions to flow out of love. For some of us, our experience of faith has been very much like the Pharisees. We brought up with rules and expectations pushed on us. Sometimes we accepted and we did things just to please people around us, to please our mothers and fathers, our grandfathers and our grandmothers. We came to please someone else rather than because we love God. But that's not what God is looking for. That's not his desire. He wants love. He desires obedience in response to love and his forgiveness. He wants a relationship with us where we interact with him on the foundation of love. And I invite you today, again, afresh, to give him your heart and your love and your service. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would increase our faith today. Thank you for the prophetic Jesus, how he stood for what was right. Father, allow us to do good on the Sabbath. Father, use us. Increase our faith. Purify our motives. Father, may all that we do and say be born out of a life that is obedient to you. Help us to live a life that is pure, that is salt, that is light. May all that we do be based on our relationship of love with you. Not on sacrifice, but obedience and love. Thank you, Father, for hearing our prayer. Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening. For any questions about the message or to contact any of our pastors, please visit scottstreetchurch.ca.